How are you all doing? You know, it's really good to be back from vacation. It's always nice to go, but it's always nice to get back and sleep in your own bed. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's amazing. We had a great time while we were gone, and uh, I won't go into all the details about that, but uh, it was refreshing. It was really good to see our, our family and our extended family and to rekindle those friendships and just talk with them and share with them and catch up on everything. And I got to tell you, uh, our family and extended family is growing by leaps and bounds. I don't know. I think next year, this time, we'll probably have about three or four more babies in our family. And so, it, you know, things are growing. And, uh, but it's that way in our church family. I mean, we've got, we've got several babies that are due this fall and in and, and, and this winter. And, and what a blessing that is to, to know that we're growing in that way as well. So uh, we give thanks to the Lord for all of you and for all the things that God is doing. Um, I also want to say thank you to all of you who volunteered and served in Vacation Bible School. Um, it was a tremendous blessing to me, Pastor to see that many of our people on board serving and, and loving on these children. And what a, what a blessing it is that God entrusts us with these little ones. I mean, we, we have the opportunity to share the gospel with them, and, and we did that, and, and they responded. And uh, what a blessing that is. And, um, you know, this morning I, I want to share with you a little bit uh, about the Christian as a citizen. Um, we're we're going to be celebrating uh, July 4th this week, uh, our Independence Day. And, um, you know, we have independence and we are a free nation. And so when you, when you think about that, you think about being a citizen in a free society, then you have responsibilities, you have duties, if you will, that go with that. With freedom comes responsibility. And we need to recognize that. You know, I'm going to be in uh, Romans chapter 13, and if you want to open your Bible there, I know some of you probably went to Matthew 22, but uh, I will speak a little bit about that. But Romans 13, uh, and we're going to read that in just a few moments. Um, you know, it's interesting to be back in the pulpit, and I'm thankful to be back in the pulpit after a couple of weeks away. Um, you know, after an exceptionally long and boring sermon, uh, the congregation filed out of the church not saying a word to the pastor. And finally, there was a gentleman come out, and he, he said to the pastor, he said, Pastor, that sermon reminded me of the peace and the love of God. And the pastor was kind of you know, taken back by that because he hadn't heard anything from anyone else. And so he began to fish a little deeper for some more comments. And he, he said, well, how did it remind you uh, of the, the, the love and the, and the peace of God? And he said this, he said, it reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all human understanding." And it reminded me of the love of God because it endured forever. I hope that's not the case this morning. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen out of you. You know, there, there are three institutions that have been ordained uh, by God. That have been set up by God. And, and in each of them, there are levels of submission and authority. Now, think with me about this for a minute. These institutions, the first one is the family. There's the family, there's the church, and then there's the government. Okay, so we have three institutions that are ordained by God, all have levels of submission and authority. The family is a small community of related people 
who have as their interest the mutual care of one another. We care about our families. There's, in that family, there's fellowship, there's love, there's sharing, there's labor, there's provision. There's also submission and authority. You see, God has set it up, has designed and designated the husband to be the head of the family. I didn't come up with it. God did. It's his work. If you have a problem, it's with God, not with me. I'm just simply sharing what his word says. That God designated the husband to be the head of the family, the wife to be in subjection, in submission to the husband, and the children to be in submission to the parents. That's the way he set it up. And this makes for a happy home because there is an order in the home. You see... When it is out of order, when things are out of order, there is confusion and turmoil in the family. God designated it this way. In the church, the church is a community of believers that that, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his lordship. And they have as their interest, uh, their worship and their service to God, as well as mutual care for one another. So we're a community of faith, if you will. And and the head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. Jesus Christ. Somewhere under him comes the pastor. Below that, the deacons and, and the members of the congregation. But there is order that God has established that he has ordained in the church. He's ordained order in the family. He's ordained order in the church. And see, when God's order is maintained in the church, there is blessing and there is harmony. But when the order is turned on its head, when things get out of order, then what happens is it creates division and hurt. The third institution is the government. The government is a larger community of people who are brought together under central leadership and they have as their interest the mutual good of all of the citizens under that that government. And, and, And the submission of the citizens to the authority of the government will produce a peaceful society. I say all of that because it's interesting. Ray Pritchard, he writes that most Christians know a great deal about what God has to say about the home and about the church. But we know much less what he has to say about the state and how we should relate to it. But understand this, and I agree with this 100%. Webster says, whatever makes people good Christians makes them good citizens. Okay, When we surrender our will under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that helps us to have a proper perspective of submission and authority. Because the bottom line is none of us want anyone telling us what to do. We think we are entitled to that, but you need to understand something this morning. Every single person has an authority over them in their life. Get over it. It's the way it is. It's the way life is set up. It's the way God designed it. We have an authority over us. See, without good citizens, really in a a country, there is no hope of alleviating poverty. 
If the people aren't on board, if they're not working together, there's no hope for establishing justice or providing political or economic or educational opportunity for all people. See, we have to have good citizens in order for that to take place. See, if the Apostle Paul thought it was important for Christians to be concerned with the duties of the government, I think it it gives us an opportunity to look a little deeper. We should be concerned today. Because you see, in Paul's day, they were more subjects than they were citizens. You have Roman occupation in much of the known world. And so they did whatever Rome told them to do. And it was without regard for their feelings. It was without regard for their rights. They were more subjects than they were citizens. And they had practically no participation in the formation of government policies. See, we got it good. We have it very good. Let's read in Romans chapter 13 and see what Paul has to say about this. Romans chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Verse 4, For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the ones who, one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for your letter to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us and how it speaks to our hearts. I pray, Father, that, that right now, moment, that your Holy Spirit would cover this place. Father, that each of us would, would look deeply into your word and into your heart. That, Father, we could discern what your heart is speaking to each of us. Father, I thank you for all that you provide for us. I thank you for your great love. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death on the cross that puts us in right relationship with you, Father. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. See, I want want you to recognize that the government is ordained by God. That the, uh, the government is ordained by God. And when I say the government is ordained by God, 
I mean as a principle, and that is not to say that every government is just what God would want or is reflective even of God's nature. And I think that's important because think of it this way. God ordained marriage. But certainly not every marriage is reflective of the character of God. He ordained it and he desires that. But in marriage you may have abuse. You may have cruelty. You may have injustice. You may even have divorce. And this does not reflect the character of God. But it is the institution that God ordained. See, the same is true in government. Abuses do not deny the sacredness or the divine authority in any of God's institutions. See, people abuse, frankly, they abuse all of God's good gifts. Because we're people. We abuse them. We live in a fallen and wicked world. And all peoples are sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, our tendency is to abuse God's good gifts. I mean, that's one very important reason why something called the family is so very important. To bring order to all of the little chaotic creatures coming into existence. And I say that with all of the love in my heart. I love babies, I love grandchildren, I love children. But folks, children have to be taught who God is and what His order is. Because if we leave them to themselves, it is going to be chaos. We have to teach them to to understand and we have to let them know because when the family order breaks down, And family morality breaks down. And family authority breaks down. The result is deadly to the whole culture. Folks, we've gotten to a place where families are torn apart weekly. And we could care less. You know what I'm talking about. We see it. We stick a blind eye. We turn our our head away from it because we don't want to deal with it. Because it's messy and because it's ugly. But the reality is, is when the family breaks down, when the sense of, of, of God's order breaks down, when the authority and the submission breaks down, our families are in trouble. When that happens in the church, our our churches are in trouble. When that happens in the government, our country is in trouble. Notice the teaching of Jesus. Matthew 25, excuse me, 22. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're trying to conspire to catch Jesus up in something. They're trying to trip him up. And it's interesting to me that these religious leaders, they send their disciples, they send their underlings, if you will, To ask Jesus and try to trip him up. Because they don't want to be the source of the rebuke. 
They don't, they don't want it to come back to them. So they send their disciples and they say, they, they go to Jesus and they say, is it lawful to pay the poll tax to Caesar? They're wondering, well, if, if you belong to another kingdom, is it lawful for you to, to pay tax to Caesar? And really they're trying to catch him in a, a catch-22. Because if he says, yes, you should pay your taxes, well, they hate the Roman government. They hate the Roman government, and, and, and they would be like, well, they're, they're occupying our country. How could you be for Caesar? But if he says, no, don't pay it, then he becomes an enemy of the state. He's saying, don't pay your taxes and rebel, revolt against Caesar. So they, they're wanting to get him in that catch-22. And what he tells them is this. He says, show me one of your coins. And they pull out a denarius and they show it to him. And he says, whose inscription, whose image is on that coin? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. And that's when he said, then render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And render unto God what belongs to God. The implications of that are huge. Give Caesar his coins, but you were made in God's image. You belong to him. See, I, I think that's big because sometimes we don't, we don't quite get that. You know, Jesus was very straight up about it. His duty, we have duties to God, but we also have duties to state. These duties don't have to be in conflict with each other. See, the very thing that makes people good Christians makes them good citizens. But you, you understand that every person is subject to the government. I mean, as a Christian, we're not anarchists. We're not trying for chaos. We're not trying to upset the, the apple cart, if you will. Government is part of God's plan. And, and Paul is, is painting with a, a very broad brush here. He's staying out of the minutia. But notice, either extreme would be bad. He's not saying that the leader is infallible. He's not saying that we should blindly follow the, the leader. He's also not saying that if a government is ceasing to be God's servant and, and yet a servant of Satan, that they should not be revolted against. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that we should be in subjection to our government. We all have an authority over us. And that verb in verse 1, in subjection to, it's a military term that has to do with, with uh, the army arranging themselves for battle. Okay, be in subjection to. And the idea is to draw yourself up into the proper order. In other words, step up to the line of where you're supposed to be. Step up and, and, and do the things that you're supposed to do. When he says be in subjection to, you know, ideally a private in an army carries and, and, and is just as important as a general. You need someone to, to give direction, but you also need someone to do the work. And if you don't have someone to do the work, and, 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 and you just have someone giving direction, you have a guy just spouting directions. You need both 
in, 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 for, the, for them to, to properly function. And when he talks about submission here, I want to I pull over and park here for just a moment. Submission means to voluntarily, voluntarily, cheerfully, gladly, voluntarily, not forced, means to voluntarily follow the direction of those in authority over you. See, submission is not the same as obedience. Though the two are related, they go together. Obedience relates to the outward performance. Submission touches the attitude of the heart (laughs) towards those who are in authority over you. See, the distinction is critical because you may not always be able to obey those who are over you, but you can always have a heart of submission. And folks, I think this is huge. I mean, Ray Pritchard, he he offers the best definition that I've heard, and he says this. He says, submission means believing that God is able to accomplish his will in my life through those he has placed over me. Being able to see that God is sovereign above it all. And that no matter what the outcome, whether I like it or not, someone is sovereign over me. God has placed someone over me so that I can put myself in submission to them. Voluntarily. Submission is voluntary. See, he says here in verse um, 3 and 4 and 5, he says that, that, that government is a minister of God. You know, Pastor John MacArthur, he, years ago he was invited to, by the police chief of Los Angeles to come and do a seminar teaching about leadership to, to all of his uh, uh, officers, the, the, especially the leadership. And, and they brought in all kinds of folks, uh, ranking all the way down to, to sergeant. And they, they, they probably brought in 40 or 50 people. And, and he spent the morning talking to them about leadership and what that looked like. And in the process of that discussion, he referred to Romans 13, and, and, and where it talks about those being in authority, this passage right here. And in that case, he was talking about the police being ministers of God. And he talked a little bit about the fact that those who participate in law enforcement are ministers of God. That they are there to, to, to help people. They are there, you know, uh, punishing the evil, if you will, pulling them off the streets. And I guess maybe he didn't realize, you know, how it was being received because we all hear things from our perspective. And um, <laughs> they took a little coffee break, and there was a big, burly, kind of crusty sergeant came up to him, had a cigar sticking out of his mouth, and he told him, he said, you know, I, I really liked what you said today. I like the part about me being a minister of God. He said, I'm going to use that. I thought, oh boy, he probably will. You know, the, the thing is, though, is as we see that, recognizing that those who have authority over us are ministers of God to us. 
I'm thankful. I'm thankful for our first responders. I'm thankful for our police force. I'm thankful for those who provide protection for our country day in and day out. I'm thankful for all of that. You know, those in authority are ministers of God to us. And God's purpose through the state is to aid the good and to punish the evil. And governments are ordained by God to help citizens accomplish the greatest good for the greatest number of people and to prevent evil from profiting at the expense of the community. Folks, that is God's plan. You see, fear of punishment should make us want to submit. But we have even a greater motive for submitting. Because being a good citizen is part of being a good Christian. I mean, we're, we're told here, every person is to be in subjection to the governing and authority. And I think that's huge because we need to see that. We need to hear that. We need to hear those words in our nation today. See, God wants Christians to partner with other citizens to accomplish things like living at peace with one another. I mean, Jesus said it this way. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Oh, how we need that. You know, there are some duties uh, of citizens that I want to give you a few of those, and then I want to hone in on one uh, specifically. I mean, when we think about duties of citizens, you know, to honor those who are in authority. Folks, we need to do that. If they have that position, if they are in that position, we need to honor them. We need to do right by them. We need to pay our taxes. You know, tax evasion is not what good citizens do. You know, we may not agree with every dollar that is spent every way. It doesn't matter. We should pay our taxes. I'm encouraging you to do that. I'm also encouraging you to vote. You have a privilege and a right to vote in this nation. And so you should take advantage of that. You should vote. As a good citizen, we need people who vote. We also need people who are willing to take on jury duty. I mean, for our society to work the way it's set up, we need people to be able to do that, to serve on a jury of peers so that we can see that justice is quickly and, and properly taken out, you know, executed. So the, the idea there is that we need people to do these things. Also the defense of our country. We need people to volunteer, to, to enlist, and to, to be a part of that. That's admirable, that's honorable to do those things. All of these are important. And I want to highlight one more. That seems to be a big one. And it's pretty simple. Obey the laws. Obey the laws. I mean, Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, are to obey all the laws, no matter how foolish they seem. I'm guilty. Sometimes I drive too fast. And I need to slow it down. I'm confessing that to you so that you can hold me accountable. We need that. We need to obey all of the laws. I mean, how many of you are, consider yourself a rule keeper? 
You know, when, when you hear about a rule, you, you, uh, you do your best to everything possible to try not to break it. Because there is a good many of us that, that are rule keepers. But recognize there's also rule breakers. I mean, there's people, when you're faced with a rule, do you find yourself wanting inwardly to disregard it or outwardly to disobey it? Well, why'd they put that rule up there? We're going to have to do something about that. See, there are people in both camps. Now, for all you rule keepers, before you get to feeling smug about all the rules you keep, think about this. Don't most of us pick and choose which ones we're going to follow? We tend to evaluate rules according to what we think should be right. We look at it through our lens and we make an evaluation about that rule, about that law. I mean, Andy, Andy Stanley, he says, he makes this salient point that, that most individuals chafe under authority. Most individuals are irritated, they're annoyed, they're agitated by authority telling them what to do. Somewhere, he says, somewhere along the way in our culture... We've learned to quickly evaluate what we're expected to do, and then we decide whether or not we want to do it. That's big, because I think that hits it right. We decide what we're going to do and whether we're going to obey or not. So whether it's our parents... Whether it's our boss or a teacher or a coach or a government uh, or, or, or God, if we disagree with the what, I can disregard what it is I'm being told to do. Well, I don't agree with that. Hmm. See, Andy Stanley, he says, and I don't feel guilty. I don't go to bed at night and confess it as sin because I've already evaluated it and decided that it's just a stupid rule. And folks, we do that every single day. We decide what we're going to obey and what we're not. And that's what we do. See, as believers, we must obey the law. That's what he says in this passage. We're to be in subjection to the governing authority. And that means we put ourselves voluntarily in line with what they're, they're doing. We step up to the line and, and we draw up so that, so that we can be in subjection to where we need to be. According to the government. The one exception is when the law-making body enters a realm where it has no authority. For example, if the legislature passed a law prohibiting the preaching of the gospel, then loyalty to God would take precedence over loyalty to the state. See, we saw that uh, they, Peter and John faced that contingency when the Sanhedrin called them in and told them to quit preaching the gospel. And they said, men, I don't know what you're talking about, but we can only talk about those things we have seen and heard. And they continued to preach the gospel. Folks, there is one example that I can think of where we don't follow and we don't go in line. And that is when they step over into a realm where there has, they have no authority. 
But every person is subject to the law or else there can be no integrity in government. See, we need that. We need good citizens stepping up and doing what they're supposed to do all the time. You see, this, is, this means that since God has established those over me in authority, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary when I disobey my parents. It's kind of scary when I blow off my boss or when I don't pay the taxes that I owe. See, by rebelling against those who are over me, I'm rebelling against God. When I rebel against my parents, when I rebel against my boss, when I rebel against the government, I am rebelling against God. And hear what I'm saying. That means that what I do at work is a spiritual issue. What I do at work is a spiritual issue. How I honor and obey my parents is a spiritual issue. How I prepare my tax return should be a matter of worship. Because I am honoring God in subjecting myself to those who have authority over me. See, it's not about the what. It's about the who that's given the command. But listen, without a big view of God, it will be impossible to submit to the authorities, especially if you think they are evil or you disagree with them in some way. Without seeing God as being sovereign over all, without seeing God as, as using the government to accomplish his purpose, as using your, your boss to accomplish his purpose in your life, without seeing God as using your parents to accomplish his purpose in your life. It's impossible for us because we will disagree every time. You have to have a view of God as being sovereign. And it also follows, and I want you to listen to me, young people. If you don't submit to authority when you're young, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, as a young adult, as a, as a young man, a young woman, you're going to end up going down a path later that is not good when you're older. You know, I, I can't say that enough because it's the parents job to teach the children. Wrapping this up, I, I, I want to I talk just a little bit about engaging, engaging with our culture. How do we engage with our culture and do what Paul teaches here in Romans 13? I want to give you six ways very quickly that we can engage our culture and the first thing that I want to urge you to do is do not withdraw. Okay, and what I mean by that is many folks seem to be deeply discouraged about the state of our country and our nation. And it's their temptation to withdraw in despair. Just to give up and say, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't know what's going on. I really don't care anymore. Do not withdraw. Do not. Instead, get to know your neighbor... And show them Christian love. 
The problem is, is we become so individualized that we don't even know our neighbors. And really what we need to do is we need to get to know our neighbors and we need to show them Christ's love. Manifested through our deeds, through what we do. Don't withdraw. Stay in there. Stay engaged. Secondly, be prepared to to stand on your Christian principles and convictions. Even if it costs you. I say that because we live in a day and a time where that's going to become more and more important and more and more under fire. It's going to increasingly be the case for us in our culture as believers. Take a stand on your Christian principles and convictions. Thirdly, I want to say explain to your children the biblical basis of your ethical convictions. Explain to your children, teach them why you believe what you believe. But here's the kicker. Don't assume that they will agree with you. We think that if they disagree with us that we, that we just give up and we quit teaching them. Folks, we should assume these days that our children and our grandchildren have swallowed a different sentiment from the culture than the convictions that we hold. It's all around us and they're being fed a a daily diet of it. Unless we teach them what we know and what we believe and why we believe what we believe, how else will they learn it? They're not going to get it from the world around us. That's our duty. See, biblically and persuasively, tell them why you hold the moral values that you do. Tell them why it's important, why marriage is important. Tell them why the things that are going on don't reconcile with God's word. Use his word and be persuasive as you talk to them. Fourth, I want to say don't stop praying for our country. Don't ever stop praying for our country. You know, just a hunch. But as Christians who believe in God's word, we're going to be a minority in the political process in the foreseeable future. I mean, it would be easy to get discouraged and to stop praying for our culture and to stop engaging and to withdraw, but don't do that. Remember that the people that Paul is writing to in Romans 13, the Christians in Rome, they were a minority, a very small minority, in a huge and powerful polytheistic society, and in as little as 200 years, everything was turned on its head. Don't stop praying for our country. Don't be discouraged. Fifth, I want to say engage in the cultural and political process. Disagreeing with the dominant voices which are undermining biblical truth. But do it with a reasoned argument. Don't get into the name calling and and dirt throwing and mud slinging and all of that. Do it with a reasoned argument, with passion, with intelligence, and with persuasion. Know what you believe and why. Be able to do that with, with an attitude of love because we're not going to win the culture by hating it. 
You'll win the culture by persuading it. I mean, if you hate, the choir is going to love you. I'm not talking about our choir here. I'm talking about the people who agree with you are going to love to hear you hate on the loud culture. Because they want to jump on that bandwagon. And they just need a leader. But you won't persuade anybody. Christians ought to speak more about our government, about our nation, about our government leaders than anyone else. Even if we passionately disagree with the morality and the policies of those same leaders. Because we're not here to name call. We're here to be in subjection to the governing authorities. We're to do what God has called us to do. And to love them and to persuade them with reasoned arguments. Even as Paul did. See what happens is when we get out there and we start slinging mud and name calling. We lose our voice. Oh, you're one of them. Okay. Folks, we need to be in the fight, but we need to do it in the right way. We should remember that Jesus Christ is king. He's the one who is leading us all, and we know how all of this ends. Because on that day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know how it ends. We know what's going to happen. And so we can engage with some confidence in the political process because it doesn't matter how long it takes. We know where it's going to end up. But finally, this. Determine to view your, more than ever before, yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of God. As a citizen of that kingdom. Folks, this world is not our home. We are looking for a city whose builder and whose architect is God. We are looking for that day when we, when we go through those gates and we see the, those streets that, that, that appear of like gold and, 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 and all of the things that he has created. We can't wait to go home. But don't think this is your home. Don't be fooled into thinking that. See, we can engage with profound love for our country, and we need to do that. We live in the greatest nation this world has ever known. We live in a great state. We, with all pe- of all people, should have more confidence in what God can do because we are so blessed. Because of how He has guided us and led us. And knowing that we are a part of that heavenly realm, not just this one. This is not our home. And folks, that to me is a wonderful thing to know that someday, someday all of this will fade. And King Jesus will appear. And he will reign forever and ever endeavor I can't wait I can't wait to look into the face of the one who gave himself for me just to say thank you Jesus for giving me something I don't deserve giving me something I couldn't earn 
but the wonder of it all, to know that he loves us that much. Folks, we have obligations. Yes, to to our government here. We have obligations to our church. We have obligations to our family. Recognize we are part of a bigger picture of the kingdom of God. Walk in confidence in that. Be engaged with our culture and, and help win souls. Folks, we need this more, than desperate, more desperately now than ever. Because our country, our great country, is rotting from the inside out. Folks, I know this. I have a fountain in my backyard. And I can't keep the leaves out of it. I can't keep the birds from coming and taking a drink out of it. And over time, if it doesn't have fresh water put in it, the water gets filthy and dirty and kind of stanky. But you know how I clean that out? I flood it with lots of fresh water. Folks, if we want the decay and the the, the moral sin to leave our nation, we need to press into the truth like we have never pressed in before. We need to be people who are good citizens. We need to share the gospel. We need to do the things that he's called us to do and stop being lazy about it. Because really, we do what we want to do. And we obey what we want to obey. And I'm telling you today, we need to obey the Lord Jesus. We need to do the things that he tells us to do in his word. And one of those is to obey the laws that are over us. I love you and I want to pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for this church. And I thank you for what it stands for. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Savior. Father, I thank you for giving your only Son that we might be saved. Father, it's with gratitude that we thank you for saving our souls. Father, we desperately need you. Father, we need you in our families. We need you in our homes. Father, we need you in the body of Christ. We need you in our churches. Father, we need you in our government. We need you in our society. Father, we desperately need you. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would right now just convict our hearts. Father, that we would pray and seek your face. Father, that we would seek the repentance that we so desperately need. Father, that we would confess our sin to you and to one another. And Father, that times of refreshing would come. Your word says that it will. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, that you would give us the the courage to take a stand on your word. Father, that you would give us the courage to To discipline and to teach our children what it means to follow you. 
Father, that you would show us how to, how to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, that we would be filled with you and your Holy Spirit and less of the things of the world. Father, this is my prayer for your people. I ask God that you would work your, your wonder in us, that you would extend grace even one more day, one more hour. That, Father, we would know you in a very personal way. And, God, that we would love you more than anything else. Lord, I pray that in this moment, in this time, that you would draw us to you. Holy Spirit, shine a light on our hearts. Convict us of the sin. Bring us to the truth. Show us all that you desire. And we're going to be faithful. And Father, we're going to respond to you. I ask that you would lead us and guide us in this time of response. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.